Good morning, everyone. And kids, kids can head across to, to kids ministry. I know they're pumped about that. You're going to miss a great sermon, but all right. Uh, that's all, all good. Um, I want to give a, a special uh, congratulatory shout out to Kathy Howard, who uh, just, just retired um, from... 42 years of education, so congratulations uh, to you. Also want to thank all of our worship ministry volunteers and everybody who blesses us every week. Yeah, give it up for them. Um, and since, since they both happen to be here today, special shout out to Laura and Nick uh, for the way they bless us. Um, it's just so cool to see. And uh, I wish I played one instrument as good as Nick played like 10. So uh, thank you. Thank you for, for just uh, being, being with us and blessing us uh, this morning. We, we are so blessed by our worship leaders in the way that they um, bring us uh, the opportunity to, to be with God and to experience God um, every, every single Sunday. Uh, I wanted to, to pause for a moment and say um, a, a word of prayer. Um, so uh, Cecilia, my dear friend down here, um, she found out uh, this week that she has um, uh, something on her liver that she has some concern about. She's had cancer previously, so um, it's something that's obviously making her very anxious. And so um, she asked us um, to, to be praying for her. Uh, so let me just say a word of prayer over you, Cecilia, right now, because we love you, sister. Yeah. God, we pray um, for, for Cecilia right now as uh, Doctors are running tests and figuring out kind of what's, what's going on uh, with her. And we, we pray that you would give those doctors wisdom and uh, that she would be healed of the issue that's, that's going on in her liver. Um, we'll be uh, praying for her um, fiercely during this time. And uh, I pray that uh, she would be healed and that uh, she would experience that healing. So, Father, just be with her as she's going through testing um, over this next week. We just lift her up to you, and I will continue to, to be just steady in prayer for our dear sister Cecilia right now. Your son Jesus, I pray. Amen. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So we are, are in a series looking at First Thessalonians, and um, I hope that if you learn nothing else from this series, uh, that this is likely, most people think, that the... the um, most early written New Testament letter. And what I really find fascinating about it is just how, how practical um, it is. And as Paul moves into 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, uh, you see something interesting happening. And without context, you might not exactly know exactly what, what's going on. But during this time, um, there were people who uh, were popular, very common, um, called sophists, uh, who would go around to different cities uh, and, and they would teach, think of them like modern day, maybe stand-up comedians or like a TED talk. Um, so they, they would go and they would share ideas. You actually see Paul's ministry looking somewhat like this at times where he just walks into a city and says like, let me tell you guys about God. And then he just like starts to, to talk about it. So he looks a little bit like a sophist, but um, he, he wants to say that he's, he's different than a sophist because a sophist would go and would explain um, the, their ideas and people would listen and, you know, maybe they would talk for two hours. And at the end of a, a speech, um, this person would then hope that um, a noble person in the city who was of some means would say, hey, you know, come, come stay at my house for a while. And then this person would go and um, be able to stay with someone who was wealthy and, and chill for a week or so and not overstay their welcome, hopefully, and then move on to another city. So this was a, a common practice. And so one thing um, that, that Paul is saying um, as he begins 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 is, I wasn't a sophist. I wasn't doing this. 
And so he says this, you know, brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not without results. We had previously suffered and had been treated outrageously in Philippi, as you know, but with the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel in the face of strong opposition. For the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. On the contrary, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We are not trying to please people, but God, who tests our hearts. You know we never used flattery, nor did we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. We are not looking for praise from people, not from you or anyone else, even though as apostles of Christ we could have asserted our authority. Just FYI. Instead, we were like young children among you. Just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you because we loved you so much. We were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and hardship. We work day and night in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preach the gospel of God to you. You are our witnesses, and so is God of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. So Paul writes and reminds this group of some of the things that he did while he was there. And it can come across a little bit like a humble brag. Uh, you know, it's like, just FYI, here's all I did. Speaking of a humble brag, um, this morning um, when I went to Dunkin' Donuts to get the donuts that I get on, on the way to church, um, it was interesting. I was in the drive-thru and the person said, oh, are you paying with cash? And I said, no, because no one has cash. And uh, she, she said, well, we're only accepting cash in the drive-thru, but you can come inside and pay with a card. I don't understand what happened exactly. I don't know what changed, but it, but it worked. Um, so just FYI, like I had to go inside the Dunkin' Donuts today to get the donuts. Like you guys are welcome. Um, they, yeah, you guys are welcome. No, no, hold your applause. No, it's, it's, all, it's all good. And, and, and it can seem like this is that's what Paul is doing here. I mean, it kind of goes into like pretty explicit detail. Like, oh, here's, here's what I did for you. You remember these things. Like we worked hard. I think the main thing that he's trying to say is I, I wasn't, a sophist. I didn't just come and then at the end of my talk, like say, all right, you know, like who, who can uh, put me up for a while? Like he's saying some really important things that I think are, are, are very beautiful and is holding up an example, I think, of what it looks like to live in the way that God calls us to live. So there are, are five things within this passage that I think um, you notice. First, um, we faced strong opposition. And he begins by saying, we also faced strong opposition in Philippi. But when we were there in Thessalonica with you all, like, it was hard. This message wasn't easy for people to understand. It was difficult for us to preach it and to be with you. Secondly, like, we, we loved you with a tender care. Do you remember those times we spent together? Do you remember that time that we shared meals? We sat around tables and shared the gospel. We, we loved you like, like a parent loves a child. Third, like we worked 
So you didn't have to take care of us. I think this is the most, like, I'm not a sophist moment. Like, we, we worked. Like, I had a nine to five so I could do this, all right? Like, I, I was supporting myself. Remember that. Then we were run out of town. And then we weren't sure what the result would be. We didn't know what would happen as we left this community behind. And as he shares that, he's very excited that he's heard about some of the things that have happened in Thessalonica. But as, as he has done these, these things, as they, as they tried to live out the, the gospel for the people who are there, um, in the end, he's just unsure of how it would end up. And I think these five things are, are so important because this is what it is to live the Christian life. And to do something with your life that lives beyond you. And it's hard because at each of these steps, it's easy to hit the eject button. When, when you face opposition, when, when things get a little bit difficult for you in, in any sort of endeavor that you have, it's easy to just be like, oh, this, this is hard. And when you, when you love people with tender care and, and you risk, sometimes you get burned. And we work at times, so we're not dependent on others. There are seasons when we do depend on others, but we can't always be in, in that space. And eventually, no matter what we're a part of, eventually we are, are going to leave. One of my friends in ministry said this, and it sounds really cynical at first, but hold on. Um, he, he said, something that I've learned in my ministry is everybody leaves. Especially to in a place like Los Angeles, because it's very expensive to live here. And again, it sounds cynical at first, but I think there's something important to remember that you have to like hold people in your life in a certain way. That eventually, you know, they're, they're going to leave. And eventually, he said further, like eventually, you are going to leave that church as a minister, whether by death and they like, carry you out, or, I mean, you're eventually. When you, when you love people, like, you, you wish at times, and sometimes we have that nostalgia of, like, oh, remember that was so great when we did this, or remember that was such a, a, an interesting season. Like, eventually, like, your ability to, to be, with, you know, be with people, be present with people, it's going to run out, and then... You don't know how it's going to go. With some people that, you know, you maybe have mentored and spent a lot of time with and, and shown a, a lot of, of love, like, you just don't know how it's going to go. And ultimately, there's freedom there. Because if you are trying to control people, like, they won't feel love. They'll feel controlled. If you're, you're trying uh, to, to control them with your actions, like, it's just not going to work out for you. So these, I would say, are, are five steps that, 
that we all take as we try to live out what, what Christ has called us to do in the world. I love what G.K. Chesterton says about what it looks like to be a Christian. Uh, he says, the Christian ideal has not been tried and found wanting. It's been found difficult and left untried. <laughs> this sort of love, the way Christ loves the world, like it's, it's incredibly difficult. It's giving of yourself. It's pouring yourself out. And so at times, you know, we, we've loved some people with, with some tender care. We've done what we think we're called to do. And like, as they respond, it's, it's not what we would have hoped or, or not what we were looking forward to. And Paul, so he just reminds these people, remember how much I, I, I loved you. And then I, I let you guys figure this out. And I think as, as we think about these five steps, it's what it looks like for us to be called to live in the world with, with an understanding of, of our calling. People for centuries have described the Christian life as, as a calling. And that is maybe your job can be like a, a sub part of that. And maybe like your job during this season is just, just like humming with your calling. And that's so great. You feel like so uh, called to it, but really calling is, is the whole of your life. It's about like who you are at work, but it's also who you are after work. And sometimes like that, that comes with like some job and it's a significant thing that you feel like a, a calling is described in like kind of the Christian understanding of it. It has an internal part and an external part. Like there's something that, that you feel like you are gifted to do in the world. And then the external part is that someone sees you and says, hey, have you ever thought about? And it's in those places where these two things line up that I think our souls are, are hungry for. And it's something that we're willing to kind of keep doing and, and stepping into, even though the results aren't always there or the results aren't always what we would have hoped for. Uh, Parker Palmer, the famous author, he says, a calling is a calling when you do it primarily for others and not for yourself. Like you get to a place where you're willing to go and it's, it's easy to just read these passages like in 1 Thessalonians and say, oh, oh wow, that's, you know, that's really great that Paul did that. But to say, like, I, I was in Philippi and, and we were treated horribly. And you know what I did after that? I went to Thessalonica and I kept doing it. I faced strong opposition and I kept doing it because I feel like in my bones, this is what I'm called to do. And even though it's going to be hard and sometimes it's not going to be received in the way that I would have wanted to, I'm going to continue doing it because deep in my bones, this is what I believe I've been called to do. And so if the trouble gets a little bit too intense over there in Philippi, then I'll come down to Thessalonica and do it until it's too intense there. And then after that, I'm going to go somewhere else because this is what I'm called to do. And I'm going to continue running these five steps. It's going to lead me to a deeper and more meaningful life. Oftentimes when we think about our, our life or our decisions, we ask the question, is it right or wrong? That's how we generally approach things. Like, is it right or wrong? But the better biblical question is, is it wise or foolish? And as you think about the direction of your life, where, where you're headed, the decisions that you're making right now, the question for all of us is, are we going to end up in a spot that we want to end up in? When you get where you're going, where you like, where you've gotten. 
Paul faces hardship, but he continues to write with, with hope and perseverance because he deeply believes like this is what he's been called to do in the world, and the results aren't always going to come very easily, but he's going to continue to do it because this is what his calling is. The book of, of Proverbs writes a lot about work and how to, to work and understanding our, our work uh, in, in the world. And Proverbs twelve eleven says, those who work their land will have abundant food, but those who chase fantasies have no sense. Like, it's so easy for us as we think about the work that we're called to do, what it is that, that we are doing to just think like, oh, like, I'm working hard at this, so like, it should just create this fantasy life. Like, it's just, it's going to be nice. Like, it's going to work out for me. And to, to live in, in that fantasy space, to not really understand, like, this is what it actually is. And those can be positive or negative, that you, you have these ideas of, like, oh, this should just be a little bit easier. But later in Proverbs, it, it says this, which I love too. A sluggard says, there's a lion in the road, a fierce lion roaming the streets. As the door turns on its hinges, so a sluggard turns on his bed. So, like, I could go do some important thing uh, in the world, but, you know, I've, I've heard the news report that there's a lion in the street, so I got to lay low uh, for a while. And who knows exactly how close this lion is or what's going on, but the, the sluggard here in this passage is someone who, who thinks about the negative and thinks about what could possibly go wrong. And yeah, there are things that could possibly go wrong, but think about your life and how much has gone right in your life to get you to the point where you are. And so it's easy as you think about like trying a new approach or taking a new step or thinking about, you know, loving a community of people or showing up uh, for people. It's easy to think about, yeah, I've tried that before and like, it, it went wrong in these ways. Yeah, it probably did. But do you have the ability to step out in hope again? People um, will tell me sometimes, like, how are you able to, to speak in front of people? And it's a, a gift that I feel like uh, God has, has given me. But um, I also just always try to think that you all are on my side. Like, you want a good sermon preached today. And sometimes I do it, sometimes I don't. But I like to think that, that people are on my side. That generally you're supporting me, like you want this to go well. And I think if we thought about our lives in, in that perspective as we approach whatever it is that, that you're called to do, can you think about how it could turn out well? I've tried doing this. And I'm going to continue to think about how this might turn out well. Even when I feel like I'm at the end of my rope. And then, like, as, as I think about the results of what, what I hope it would look like in the lives of my people, what I, would, what I hope it would look like in you know, what I've accomplished. Think about, as I mentioned, Kathy Howard, after you know, 40 years of teaching, you know, some students, it probably went really well. Some, yeah, you know, that happens, right? <laughs> and that's what it is. And you don't know how people are going to receive your gift. Just this week, Nora was, was finishing up uh, TK this year. So she made it. She graduated TK. Uh, congratulations to, to her. And we were doing this thing that had kind of a review of, of the year. And so 
um, it, and it was like, what is, my, what is my teacher's name? And what is my teacher like? And she was giving pretty normal answers. Like, what, what is my teacher like? She, she's very kind. I, I like her. What memories do you have of being in TK? And she said, when we had C week, which was like a really long memory, because that was many, many weeks ago, because that was the beginning of the alphabet, if you don't know. And uh, so she remembered C week. And then, um, and then uh, I... The next question was, uh, what did your teacher teach you? And what did her teacher teach you? Her response was that grizzly bears aren't the scariest type of bears. <laughs> again, it's a very normal conversation. <laughs> and this is a real, like, what? Uh, like, grizzly bear? Like, this is not what I was expecting uh, her, like, this to be, like, <laughs> what's going on? And so pe- people have asked me, what is the scariest kind of a bear? And I've, I've circled back to Nora and asked her, and she said the teacher didn't teach her that, actually. Um, so I'm sorry. But she did say, the teacher did say, um, generally the scariest bears are mama bears. So just FYI, that's, that's what, that's what um, she, she did teach. But I, but I think about that, and like, that's like Nora's takeaway from TK. That, that cannot be like, the, the teacher wasn't, all right, here we go. I want to try to really instill this uh, into the children. That's probably not what she was aiming for. But that, that's what happens in life sometimes, right? As, as we try uh, to, to make a difference in the world, as we try to do what it is that we're, we're called uh, to do, people aren't going to respond always in the way that we would have hoped or, or would have expected. Sometimes they're going to take different things out of the messages. I love it when people come up to me um, a, a week later or a couple weeks later, and they say, I'm so thankful that you said that that, that last week. And I go and I, I can like watch the live stream, and I didn't say that. <laughs> I mean, I'm glad you took it because it seems like a biblical principle, but like, I, 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 I literally didn't say that. You don't know how people are going to respond to your gift. That's... Why this stuff is hard. It's why Jesus, as he's headed to the cross, basically says, God, is there any other way this can happen? He's been preparing for this moment his entire ministry. He's been talking about it and trying to remind his disciples that he's about to do it. But as he's about to endure the suffering of the cross, he says, God, is there any other way? And I think of, of Paul, who writes about this, this thorn in his flesh. And we don't know what Paul's thorn in his flesh was, which I think is helpful because there's things in all of our lives that we wish, you know, I just wish that would be taken from me. I wish that could be taken away. And Paul writes about this thorn, and he basically says, like, I, I feel like I could be more effective for you, God, if you just take this away from me. And it says, you know, three times I prayed about this fervently to God, and in the end, the answer was, my grace is sufficient for you, which isn't really a satisfying answer. It's like if your kid said, you know, can you give me some money for a movie, and you just say, my grace is sufficient for you. It's like, no, that's not, that's not enough. That, that's not Right. So we see in the ministry of Jesus and the life of Paul, like if you could just take this from me, I could be more effective in my ministry for you. The message you received isn't what he wanted. But Paul finds great life in continuing to do this work that he's been called to. 
I love how Frederick Buechner says this. He says, here is the world. Beautiful and terrible things will happen. Don't be afraid. As you think about what it is that you're trying to do with your life, as you're thinking about what it is that God has called you to do in in the world, and we don't really fully know if Paul is like humble bragging here in this passage or not, but he's giving us a, a way for us to live in the world. That we would find something that God has called us to do that's worth it no matter what. Paul went all over the known world at that time, sharing this message with people. One of the things that he's most passionate about is that Gentile believers and Jewish believers can somehow form this new group. And so it's interestingly, he, he writes these letters, and almost every letter that he writes, he writes with an opening, grace and peace. Grace, he uses a Gentile word, and peace, he uses Shalom. He writes to these groups of people and he continues to say grace and peace somehow, like even though you all have differences and it's hard for us to figure out how we can come together because the Jewish people are like, well, should we get them circumcised? And the Gentiles are like, let's do a different plan. It's like, how are we going to figure this out? How do we get these two distinct groups of people together? And Paul continues to write to all these churches all over the known world, grace and peace and grace and peace because he has this big vision for what God is doing in the world. And it's something that for him is worth suffering for. And so I went to Philippi and I was there until it got a little too hot. So I came down to Thessalonica because I I needed to start the ministry there. And he continues to live this out. And Paul writes to the group in Thessalonians um, around 51 AD. He dies around 64, just over 10 years later. And honestly, I don't feel like he saw a whole lot of what his vision was for the church actually in reality. There were some glimpses. But in his lifetime, I don't think he saw it a whole lot. Especially as you read some of the letters to the churches. Like, there's some stuff going on in those churches. Like, let me correct some things that are going on over here because this is just a mess. But it's humbling to think that, that Paul himself, I don't think, saw a whole lot of what he was trying to proclaim, what he was given his life to. What in your life is worth giving your life to? That you'll continue to, to pursue and strive for, even as the results aren't immediate? What is it that you feel like God has has called you to do and to set in motion? Because I think of those those five steps, it's easy to get get hung up. And I've I've tried to love people before. I've tried to be in those spaces, and it was hard. So I'm just going to pull back. Or when the opposition starts, it's easy to be like, ah, you know, I I don't think God's calling me to this because this is a little bit too hard. It's interesting that N.T. Wright, one of the um, famous New Testament scholars, he says about this passage, this is a passage that ought to be written in large letters and hanging on the wall in every Christian house. It's 12 verses, so I don't really know how the artwork would work. (laughs) 
Uh, and I mean, I, I think of like, there's a lot of other Christian passages that I would probably go to first. I uh, like live, laugh, love. I mean, that one is another one that I might, um, like, I might go to that passage first. I mean, there, there's a lot of really good New Testament passages, um, but I think it's interesting that this New Testament scholar, like he, he says like, this is the one that should be hanging in every Christian house because it, it shows us how we're supposed to live. It reminds us of who we are. It reminds us that we are called to give our lives over to something. And when you feel that resistance and when you feel like it's hard, remember that Jesus was like, this is a little too hard. I don't want to do this. And Paul's like, please take this thing from me so I can minister for you better. And God says, you have to understand that as you endure these things, my grace is sufficient for you. And you can endure it, not because it's perfect or because it's easy, but because of the gifts that I've given you. You have gifts to give to the world that you are called to give. What would it look like for you to enter in again and to see the life in the ministry of Paul again, even as I don't think he saw a whole lot of what he was hoping to accomplish in his lifetime, actually flesh and blood accomplished? But Paul has changed the world because he continued to bring this message wherever he was called. What would it look like for you to see wherever it is that you are on, on your journey, to see the places where you need to enter in? What has God called you to do? And as you think about your life as, as like kind of where it's headed, is, is where you're heading, like is it where you want to end up? Because we're called to live not just with right or wrong, but to live wise lives. And I just love how Paul writes to this group of people. There's so much love there. There's so much appreciation. Remember what it was like when we were together. Remember those times that we shared. Let's pray. God, be with us as we try to do your work in the world. May you give us strength to endure some hard things and to truly get strength from you, sources that just aren't our own as we do those hard things. May we understand that people just aren't always going to respond to our gift as we might have hoped. But may we fiercely hold to that calling anyway. Because you've called us to do hard things and to use our gifts to bless the world. May we see the, the ministry of, of Paul as an example of what it looks like to just continue showing up, to continue to be present, and to believe in, in something enough to go through the hard stuff for it. Your son, Jesus, I pray. Amen.